Welcome to Passion Life Church. Well, welcome to part two of an amazing series called The Lord's Prayer. If you have your Bibles, let's turn over to it in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. Let me just tell you a little about today's message. Today's going to be like driving a, a stick shift car. Have, how many of you have ever driven a stick shift car? Come on, somebody. You know when you drive a stick shift car, you go to first, right? And you kind of start. Then we go to second, right? And then you get into third, and now you're really, and then you get into fourth, and we are driving, and we're going to hit turbo speed today. But let me just tell you, because I love you, I'll tell you when to put on your seatbelt, and I'm going to tell you when to put on the harness. I will tell you. I will warn you, because we're going to start out in first gear, hit second, hit third, and then we're going to drive. And so it's going to be awesome. So when we're in first gear, you may say, okay, well, what is he talking about? I'm just reminding you we're in first gear. And then we're going to hit into second, third, and then we're going to drive. And for those of you that have never had the privilege of driving a stick shift, you did not miss out on anything. <laughs> and so Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, and this prayer came about because the disciples, if you read in Luke, asked Jesus how they should pray. Now, I have a question for us this morning. How many of you think if we pray like Jesus prayed that we'll see the results that Jesus wants us to see? I am asking this question also. Could it be that we... If we understood how Jesus wanted us to pray, that we would actually pray more often. Well, Pastor Phil, I don't have time to pray. Listen, I don't believe it's a timing issue because we make time for the things that we love. We make time for the things we love. I think there's some reasons why we don't pray. I think we don't understand our relationship with the Father. That's one of the reasons why. A lot of us live with guilt and condemnation. And we went over that all last week talking about our Father, our Father. And I just, I would say that the people that were here last week would tell you, go online, please listen to, to part one. But I think that it's a relationship issue, that we think that God really is too busy, he, he's condemning us, and yet the Bible speaks otherwise. I also believe we don't pray because we fully don't believe that God's going to answer our prayers. I believe that this series is going to change your life. Last week, I've had so many people come up and say, last week just revolutionized my how I see God. That's what this prayer is about to do. You will pray like you never prayed before. Not out of a religious thing, but out of a relationship thing. Have you found Matthew chapter 6, verse 9? If you don't, that's okay. We have this big old Bible back on the screen. What I'd like to do today is let's all say this together. Can we say this together? One, two, three. After this manner, therefore pray ye. Come on, say it. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation and deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. My church family, even when we say this together, I feel the atmosphere just changes. This prayer is such a powerful prayer. And you know what? I, many of us grew up knowing this prayer. Many of us have this prayer 
memorized. And you know what? It's not uncommon to see this prayer posted maybe in an NFL locker room. It's not uncommon to hear the Lord's Prayer recited at a city council meeting. And my concern today is that many of us know the prayer and we recite the prayer But yet the prayer has become so familiar that it's lost its impact because we don't really understand it. And so what I wanted to do is I wanted to help uncover what is Jesus really saying in this prayer. Now, to understand this prayer in Matthew chapter 6, we have to give a little bit of context. Can I just encourage you, whenever you read the Bible, don't just take one scripture out of the Bible. You have to read in context. What does that mean? What happened before and what happened after? What was this prayer a part of? This prayer was a part of a huge sermon, world-famous sermon called Sermon on the Mount. How many of you ever heard the Sermon on the Mount? So before, let me just provide a little context. Before Jesus went into the Lord's Prayer, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus was talking about, and this is key, daily traits that he would like his children to possess. Jesus was talking on this Sermon on the Mount of daily traits that he would like the citizens of heaven. If you are a child of God, you are a citizen of heaven. And he was talking about the traits that he would like us to possess. Let me just give you a couple. He said he wants us to mourn with those who mourn. He says he wants us to control our anger. He says he wants our righteousness to far surpass the righteousness of the Pharisees. But here's the great news about this whole Sermon on the Mount, and you're going to see this in the Lord's Prayer. These are traits that God doesn't just want you to have. Listen, they are traits that he's going to empower you to live out. He's going to empower you to live out. He wants us to be meek. He wants us to be peacemakers. And my church family, let me just say this. Those traits aren't just for Sunday morning when the lights are on. Okay, I'm going to be merciful when I go to church, come to church, you know, get in my parking spot. And then when I leave, it's like, hey, who cut me off? That's not what these traits are about. These traits are for daily living. That he wants me every morning to, when I get up to think about merciful, being merciful, controlling my anger. It's in that context that the Lord's prayer is. He is talking to us and he says this Lord's prayer is not just supposed to be something that's standalone at a city council meeting. Something that is standalone in some NFL locker. That this is supposed to be every day I wake up and I say, my father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And Jesus said that he wanted his father to be your father. And so he said, our father, he said, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And in the Greek text, because that's what we're going to look at today. Today we're going to break down some words. The New Testament was written in Greek, right? And the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. So the word, our father, which art in heaven, actually reads this way in the Greek. God, your name hallows us. And we went through that last week. And I don't have time to go through that, but you can listen to that. But today, let's go through verse 10. Are you ready? It says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth 
as it is in heaven. Now, those are three incredibly powerful words. Thy kingdom come. Now, let's start with thy kingdom. Obviously, we find out it is God's kingdom. Now, if you just got saved recently or maybe just came to the Lord in the last month, maybe you're like me where it's an interesting dynamic because Jesus says we pray our father. So he's our father. Awesome. So there's a relationship of a son and a father, but yet our father is a king. Our father has this amazing kingdom, interesting dynamic, father, God, kingdom. And so some people only see God as God, kingdom. And some only people, well, he's just my father. Actually, he's both all engulfed in one. And so it's an interesting dynamic because you have a God, a father who has a kingdom. Come on, somebody this morning. And here's the amazing thing. It is God's kingdom. And what God did, and I love this, he brought you into his kingdom. He brought you into his kingdom. But this is what he did. When he brought you into his kingdom, he brought you out of another kingdom. There's the kingdom of God and there's the kingdom of the devil. And when we were not walking in the and we are when we're not walking in the kingdom of God or we didn't have Jesus as our Lord and Savior, you know what we were doing? We were walking in the kingdom of darkness. I hear people say all the time, man, when I gave my life to Jesus, a lot of things started to change in my life. Man, life, it seemed like God, life got harder. Of course, because before you gave your life to Jesus, you were walking hand in hand with the devil. He ain't bothering you. He's just trying to kill you. He's going to walk with you. And the Bible says he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But the minute you turn your back and God brings you into his kingdom, you think the devil's happy that you turned your back on him? Heck no, he's not. And so Colossians even tells us this, Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. It says, for he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred. Everybody say that with me. That's a key word today. Come on, say transferred. He transferred you into the kingdom of his dear son. You are a part of the kingdom of God. Anybody happy about that? So, yeah, come on. We can give the Lord a good round of applause. So this word kingdom, let's look into it. Because in the Greek, there's three major definitions. And here's the first one. You can write this down if you're taking notes. And if you're not taking notes, you can write this down. Number one, kingdom means this, royal dominion, royal domain. How many of you know God has dominion over everything? And he passed that dominion down to the people in his kingdom. And so this kingdom is ruled by God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, here's what's hard for us as Americans to accept about God's kingdom. God's kingdom is not a democracy. Well, you know, and I, as a pastor, I hear people, well, you know, Pastor Phil, I think God should do this. And I know, you know, God, and it, excuse me, God doesn't take polls. He doesn't. Well, you know, and I think, and you know, the Bible should, and oh, have you read your Bible? Because it doesn't even say that. It says this. And so what's tough for people at times is to realize that the kingdom of God is not a democracy. And so what's tough is that we think God should change, listen, based on what we think. Well, I think God should, listen, it's his kingdom. 
And he prayed, listen, he paid a great price to bring you into that kingdom. How many of you know what that price was? He gave his son so you could be a part of that kingdom. My church family, he has invited us into his kingdom. He's invited us. And we need to understand that. That's why how you see yourself is so important. Do you know the Bible talks about in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, that you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation? It says, but you are a chosen people. This is amazing. God chose you and me to be a part of his kingdom. As I was in the ninth grade, nobody chose me to play on their team. And you know what God did? He chose me to be a part of his kingdom. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. Listen to this. A holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. And so, my church family, we have to renew our minds to live in God's kingdom. And Jesus said this. Your kingdom come. Here's the second definition of the word kingdom. It means, Father, come rule in me. Father, come rule in me. So listen, I'm not only in the kingdom, the kingdom is in me. I'm not just in the kingdom, the kingdom of God is in me. When Jesus came into your life, he brought the kingdom with him. He brought the kingdom. And so not only are you in the kingdom, the kingdom is in you. And Jesus was saying this, that we, when we pray, our Father, your name hallows me, right? Hallowed be your name, your kingdom. We're saying, God, come rule in me. Now, here's where it gets tough for us who maybe just came into the kingdom. Because we still want our kingdom. And so here's the thing. There's a fight between am I going to rule my life or am I going to let God rule my life? Is it going to be my kingdom or am I going to live in his kingdom? And this is, this is the struggle for some people. Is it going to be my desires or is it going to be his desires? Now, let me just tell you. Part of this word kingdom means order. To every kingdom, there is an order. I know some of you are in the army, or some of you are in the armed forces. When you get in the armed forces, ladies and gentlemen, there is an order. There is a chain of command. There is order. Now, let me tell you what happens in order. When there is order, order brings about peace. Chaos is the lack of order. So the Bible says that when the kingdom of God comes into me, there is an order. That's why if you read down in Matthew chapter 6, a little further down, it says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. In other words, seek first his kingdom and God's right way of doing things. 
and all these things shall be added unto you. So the kingdom brings in you different priorities. You're sitting here in church because, you know what, it's a priority to you because you are kingdom-minded this morning. My church family, if you will be kingdom-minded and seek his kingdom first, God promises to you he will add all of these other things to your life. Here's what happens, is that people, they misput their priorities. Their priorities, I see it all the time. Pastor Phil, I don't have time to come to church. I don't have time. Can I just tell you, if you don't have time for the presence of God and to be with God's people, your priorities are out of order. And that's why, and I just watch, I like to tell our congregation, I am a people observer. I love to watch people. It is free entertainment. And I look at people, and over 20 years of counseling people, Pastor Phil, I can't make time for this, and I can't. And so I look at them, and I say, so, so how's it going with that? How's it going with your priorities all out of whack? Well, my life this, my life that. Yeah, I've experienced the kingdom of God. And one thing I know is that when I allow him to come in my life and I say, God, rule in my life, he will rearrange your priorities. And guess what? See, the mentality is, well, if he rearranges my priority, I'm going to be missing out. No, he promises us that when we put him first, all those things, see, here's what people do. They go after things first and let the kingdom become second, third, or fourth. God says, if you'll put kingdom first, all those things, you won't even have to go after them. I'll take care of them for you. It's all about priorities. It's all about priorities. You know, as parents, come on. How many of your kids, Dad, can I have gummy bears for lunch? No. You can't have gummy bears. Come on, you got to eat your rice, your broccoli. There's priorities. I can't, I can't raise you on a diet of gummy bears. Well, they're sugar-free. That doesn't matter. The priorities, the order, the rule of your life. And here's the good news, is that it gets easier as you go along. The more you allow God to control and the more you relinquish control, he starts to rule your life, my church family. And here's what I love, because the Bible talks about in the kingdom of God. Romans 14, 17 says this, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking, listen, but righteousness, peace, joy in the Holy Spirit. I can talk to Christian people who are not experiencing the joy that God has for them. And you know why? Because they're not living in the order that God has for their life. Their priorities are all out of whack. Their finances are all out of whack. God will rearrange your priorities, and he'll take care of those things that you need. He knows that you need them. Can you say a good amen? All right, come on, we're shifting to second gear here. Here's the third definition of kingdom. Kingdom also means, isn't that amazing? Three definitions in one word. Kingdom in the Greek also means this. This is what I love the best. The privileges and the rewards of living in the kingdom. Has anybody experienced any privileges and rewards living in the kingdom of God? Come on, let me, let me see your hands. How many of you have experienced I love that because as we come into the kingdom of Christ and we recognize his authority in our lives, we begin to experience privileges. We begin to experience the rewards, the joy, the peace. Life gets better. I've heard people say, oh, Pastor Phil, the terrible price of obeying God. Listen, you pay a price when you disobey God. That's when you pay. My life, listen, I remember my life before the kingdom, 
and it was horrible. Let me say it like we say in Texas. It sucked. <laughs> Do you remember your life without the kingdom of God? And some of you are like, man, I don't, I don't, I'm not sensing the kingdom. Well, you know what? Pray, God, your kingdom rule in me. And Jesus is saying, on the, remember, the context is daily living. God, your kingdom come in my life. Thy kingdom come. Why daily? My church family, because every day there's temptation. There's forces that are trying to pull you out of the kingdom of God. There's forces that are saying, listen, come live over here. Come live over there. You know what? But he's saying every day, as just as you work on your anger, just as you work on being merciful, say, our Father, which out in heaven, Thy kingdom come. Come rule in me. And everything that comes with the kingdom, the privileges, the uh, rewards, Lord, may that come into my life. All the joy, the peace, and the Holy Spirit. And then Jesus says this, thy kingdom come. Now, when you read this, or maybe you've memorized it like me, I didn't really didn't understand that because it could seem like we think, well, the kingdom is over there, and I'm over here. Thy kingdom come. That at some point, the kingdom is going to come, and whoo, it's just going to hit me like that. So we can pray in our prayer life, my, thy kingdom come. And yet, when Jesus came, guess what he brought? He brought the Kingdom. So I didn't know if I was interpreting this correct. So I thought, well, let's look up that word come. What does it mean in the Greek? Do you know what's interesting is the word come in the Greek actually means journey. So what is Jesus talking to us about? Jesus is saying every day, every day when you wake up, it's a daily trait. When you get up on your journey of life, how many of you figured out? Listen, life is not a destination. Life is a journey. There are Christians who live, I just can't wait till I get to heaven. Bubba, what are you going to do while you're here? Bubette, what are you going to do while you're here? Just wait to go to heaven? Uh-uh. Listen, life's a journey. It has ups. It has downs. And this is what Jesus was saying, that we pray that his kingdom come, that through it all, whether you're at a high point in life right now or you're at a low point, Jesus is saying, look, remember these two things. Always recognize your father's rule in your life. In the journey in life, wherever you're at, remember that your father and his rule in your life. And then he also wants us to know that no matter where your journey takes you, that the kingdom of God is with you. You may be at a low point in your life, but you know what? That doesn't mean you're out of the kingdom. The kingdom is with you. The kingdom is here. The kingdom abides within you. And listen, just like any journey has its ups and downs, seasons change. Seasons are changing. I thought winter was coming. I was so excited. And then today's going to be 102. I got my sweaters out, and then I put them right back up. Because seasons change. Whether you're ready or not, winter's coming. Come on. Seasons change. Wherever you are at, just remember the kingdom is with you. And Jesus says this, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What does this word will mean when he says thy will be done? You know, if you look and read the Greek language, I'm not a Greek theologian. I just read books about the Greek, but the Greek language is another language. In fact, just like many other languages, that words that you apply to them, they have or or can be applied in different ways. It's the same with the word will. See, when I used to read the Lord's Prayer, this is how I used to read that word will. I used to think that when I read this, that God was saying, my will will be done in your life or else. And I was like, 
But you know, I looked up this word will. The word will in the Greek is not that word. There is a word in the Greek that is a demand, like you use with your kids. You will clean up your room or else. There, but listen, that word is not this word. Now, there are other times in the Bible, well, this word is, but it's not this word. So this word, number one, in the Greek means this, God's gracious disposition coming towards you. So Jesus is saying, when I pray, thy kingdom come, your rule in me, thy will, he's saying this, that we're supposed to look every day for God's gracious disposition. I'm pretty, I, I talk to a lot of people, I talk to a lot of Christians, and I love to, because it's interesting, I think, how some people think. Some people think, okay, well, you know what, when God saved me, he saved me by his grace, and he did. He saved me by his grace through faith, that's how we're all saved. Can you say a good amen? But what happens, and it's so interesting, like I hear people say, man, God will save you from everything, anything you've done, and he does. But then all of a sudden, they become a Christian, and now it's like they're pure law on people, judging people. And I'm like, hold on. If God gave you grace when he saved you, he also gives you grace to live the Christian life. He doesn't just give you grace at salvation so you can turn into a judge and point out people's sins. Come on, somebody. He says, I'm supposed to take out the log in my eye first before I start cutting you down. In other words, I need to work on me first. But you know what? Can I just say the same grace that saved you is the same grace that's here today that can empower us to live the Christian life. It's not just grace for salvation. It's grace for everyday life. God's grace is made available to you right here. Just like you were a sinner, now you're a son of God. The same grace is here today in Jesus' name. I thought you'd get a little more excited about grace. How many of us, when we get up in the morning, we're like this, I better not do anything wrong. God's going to hit me over the head with a baseball bat. Yeah, that's looking for grace. But what if you got up tomorrow and said, thy will? God, today your grace gracious disposition, your grace, I'm going to look for it today in my life. Your life will change. Your prayer life will change. And Jesus is telling us every day, just like I work on being merciful, look for his grace. And here is the second word for will. Will also means what God does out of his good pleasure. What God wants to bring into your life out of his good pleasure. So when I wake up in the morning, I say, God, your kingdom come, your will. I'm going to look for your grace today and do to me today out of your good pleasure out of your good pleasure. The Bible talks about tons of things that God gets pleasure in. Do you know in Psalms chapter 35, verse 27, it says that God gets pleasure in the prosperity of his servants. You bear his name. When you succeed, when you get promotions, when you're doing, that's his name. God gets pleasure from that. And here's the last one for the word will before we shift into fourth gear. The word will also means his eternal counsel and purpose be fulfilled in my life. See, some of us have major decisions that we have to make, and that's just life. Sometimes life doesn't go the way that we think it's going to go, but he says that every day we look and we say, God, your will, and in that word will, give me your infinite divine counsel for the decisions I have to make. You have the God of the universe. My church family, I know it's going to be hard to believe this, but it's better than Google. 
do a God search instead of a Google search because he's always right. I know we believe everything we see on the internet anyway, but you know what? At your at the point of your prayer life, you have a God who is willing to guide you and lead you out of his infinite counsel. Can I hear a good amen? All right, now it's time to put on the seatbelt. Just make sure you have your seatbelt on, and now it's time to put on the harness because we're going to go from third gear to fourth gear. Are you ready? Make sure to just turn to your neighbor and say, you got your harness on. Come on. Say, so you got your harness on. This, to me, is my favorite part, and I'm believing I prayed for you all week that you would get what I'm about to tell you. Jesus said these words, on earth as it is in heaven. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I like to give some definitions, but I also like to give some points. Here is the point that you need to see. If we can believe these things that Jesus, and I love it because Jesus actually said it. I know that we opened the Bible. There's stuff that Paul said. I love all that. All scripture is inspired. But ladies and gentlemen, this is the one. This is Jesus. And he's saying this. He's saying, number one, God created that the heavens and the earth function together. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now listen, listen. This means, number two, that heaven is an active place. Heaven is not just a little place that we look up and we see babies and huggies diapers with wings. There's three heavens. Number one, there's a heaven where the clouds are. Then there's number two. There's the second heaven where the force is awakened. Star Wars, boldly go where no man has gone. The space, the final frontier. It's heaven too. Then there's a third heaven. It's where God dwells. My church family, that heaven today is active. See, now we don't, I talked to you about last week, we live earthly minded. But right now in heaven, some of your loved ones are in heaven, jumping around on the streets of gold. They're in their mansion. They're in front of Jesus. And we're right down here, oh, I missed them. And they're like, yeah. Active. Right now, you don't see them. But right now in this room, there's angels. There's angels in this room. You don't know this, but there's been times in your life where angels have protected you and you didn't even know it. We could, right now, we could take a praise break and thank God for all the times that we didn't even know that God protected us. There are times, listen, that God has protected your kids when you couldn't protect them. And let me just tell you, for all of us parents that live in fear, like, what's going to happen to our kids? God loves your kids more than you love them, and he will protect them, and he's got angels. And I pray that when my son goes to school, angels go with him. Come on, somebody. There's a room right here. There was one day in Texas, I was driving home at 930 after our our youth uh, meeting, and I was a youth pastor for over 20 years of my life. It was about 930, and I was on a freeway, and there was some traffic, and I didn't know there was traffic at 930 at night, and I just remember. I looked down for a minute because my phone buzzed and I had my phone underneath my leg. And so I looked down for a minute to grab my phone. And what I didn't realize is when I looked up, I was on the other side of a utility vehicle. In other words, there was traffic in front of me, but there was a utility vehicle that I did not see because I put my 
head down. When I looked up, I was on the other side of a utility vehicle that I didn't even touch the wheel. You know what, my church family? An angel stepped in and moved my car because I would have had a head-on collision. I'm telling you there's angels that are in the realm that you cannot see. And Jesus is saying that when I pray, pray that the heavens and the earth function together. Come on, somebody. Heaven is an active place, and we need to understand that. Here's number three. You have your harness on. Are you ready? Jesus is telling me when I pray, when you pray on earth as it is in heaven, what is Jesus saying? Jesus saying is saying that things can move from one realm to another realm. That what happens here on earth can affect what happens in heaven. Watch this. See, when I began to think about this, I've been in church my whole life, and we, we can pray at earth as it is in heaven, thank you, Jesus, and we walk away, and we don't realize that there are two realms that are so real, and Jesus wants them to function together. Right here at Passion Life Church, there have been people sitting where you sat. At the end of the service, they said a prayer to invite Jesus in their heart. They did something on earth here that's going to affect the eternity in heaven there. My church family, what we do here affects there. And what Jesus is saying that when you pray, you need to know that when you pray on earth, it's affecting the heavenly realm. Everything God has for us exists in a realm that we cannot see. That's why the Bible says faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Once you see it, you don't need faith for it anymore. And so God is telling us, listen to this, that things can move from one realm to the next. I don't know if I believe that. Okay, so when you die, where do you go? You move from this realm to heaven. Those of us that believe and receive Jesus, you move. Listen, this is why the Bible says for us as Christians, death has no sting. Because all this we're going to do is close our eyes and we're going to move from this life to the next. One thing can move from one realm to the next realm. Are you following with me this morning? Now, if that can happen, now listen, if things can go from this realm to the next realm, then things can come from that realm to the next, to this realm. Things can go from here to there, then things can go from there to here. Let me prove it to you. I hope you still have your harness on. The Bible talks about this even in Genesis. There was a guy by the name of Jacob. How many of you have heard of Jacob? I want you to listen to this. This is life-changing. In Genesis chapter 28, Jacob is walking around and he gets tired. He gets a rock and he lays on this rock and he has a dream. I'm going to put these scriptures up on the screen so you don't think that I'm making this up. And in Genesis chapter 28 verse 16, listen, it says, And he dreamed, Jacob dreamed, and behold, he saw a ladder. One translation said he saw a stairway to heaven. Come on, how many of you know he saw it before Led Zeppelin saw it? He saw a stairway, a ladder to heaven. Listen, now listen. And behold, a ladder set on where? Earth, here. And then what happens? And the top of it reached what? Heaven, there. So there was part of it that reached here and part of it that reached there. And guess what was happening, my church family? He says that he saw in this dream angels ascending, descending, ascending, and descending. If you go down to verse 16, verse 17, I'm going to give you a little commercial for our next series. It comes right out of this. Listen, it says, then Jacob woke up 
from his sleep. And he said, listen to these words, surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. Listen to verse 17. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? We sang that this morning. Jesus, you are awesome in this place. He said this and he wakes up. Now listen to these words. This is none other than the house of God. And this is a gate of heaven. It's going to be our new series, Gateway to Heaven. Listen to this. So Jacob wakes up and he has a divine moment in the presence of God. And right where he's at, he says, this is the house of God. And this is a gateway to heaven. So watch this. Every house of God, there's tons of them in Marietta. Every house of God, Passion Life Church. You know what? We are a gateway to heaven. When I saw this, I will never see church the same. What is he saying? It's happening all the time, almost once, twice a month, people are coming to church right here, sitting in these seats, receiving Jesus, saying a prayer here at the gateway to heaven. And they say a prayer here that when they die, will translate them to there. And Jacob was saying that the house of God is a gateway to heaven. Come on, somebody. That this can be a place, not that you can't receive Jesus at your job, or, but what he's saying is that the house of God should be a place that what, listen, listen, that what happens here on Sunday will affect heaven heaven there. Okay, one more. Are you sure you have your harnesses on? Are you sure you have your harnesses on? So God's house here is a gateway to heaven there. But church family, what I do here directly affects there. And there are transfers from here to there. Things happen in the natural that can affect the supernatural. And you know what we need? We need a transfer. Let me give you another verse. Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. Everybody knows it. Everybody quotes it. But I don't think we know what it means. Look. So my God shall supply all my need. Where is your need? Is your need in heaven or is your need on earth? I I didn't think this was going to be that hard. I'll try again. God shall supply all of your need. Are you going to have need in heaven? So where is your need? On earth. That's why I show up every Sunday, because you're so smart. I love it. Love preaching to you, talking to you. And my God shall supply my need here. But how is he going to supply my need here? According to his riches and glory. In glory. Where is glory? There. So my needs that are here, there's going to be a transfer from there to here to supply the need that I have. And let me remind you again, Jesus said to pray on earth as it is in heaven. It doesn't end there. It gets better. It gets more intense. I just want you to make sure that you have your harness on. The house of God is a gateway to heaven that people can make decisions here that will affect there. Now I'm going to go one step further. I've been in church all my life. I've watched that container pass for the offering and the tithe. I've had a hard time with it. I've had a hard time dealing with it. I really had to get into the word of God. For those of you that give 10% to the house of God, this is going to bless you. Jacob wakes up. This place 
is the house of God, a gateway to heaven. The Bible says, read it, he went and took a tenth and gave it to God. Now, when the bucket passed, the container passed, whether you give by credit card or however you give, doesn't matter. Jacob made a decision to give 10% to the house of God that is a gateway to heaven. Now watch this. People argue, well, you know the tithe is Old Testament. It's Old Testament. Well, you know the tithe is under the law. It's under the law. Well, the tithe is actually before the law. The tithe is actually under the law. And the tithe is actually in the New Testament. Because I want you to hear this. In Hebrews chapter 7, the Bible talks about this when it talks about giving 10%. And for those of us that do, you're going to be so blessed. It says in Hebrews chapter 7 verse 9, here. Everybody say that with me. Say here. Here, where, where do we give? We give to the house of God. Listen, it says, here, mortal men receive tithes, right? You have a pastor. He's a mortal man. He received. Today, we received the tithe. Listen to this. Today, when you gave here in the gateway to heaven, when you gave here, mortal men received tithes. But where? So here we, re we receive the tithes, but there Jesus receives them. Today, you didn't know, but when you gave today here, it affected something in heaven there. This is why the Bible says, I want you to listen to it. It says, bring all the tithes to the storehouse. Where is the storehouse? God's gateway, God's house, right? So watch this. He says, and if you do, I will open up the windows of heaven. My church family, heaven is open because of what Jesus did. But you cannot unlock heaven until you do something on earth. The salvation was already provided. You prayed a prayer on earth that unlocked heaven that saved you. Today you gave a tithe, right, to God's house here on earth. And you didn't even know that God is there receiving the tithe. And this is what he says in Malachi. He says, when you give your tithe, I will open up the windows of heaven. So now, now we know in the Bible there's gates. Now we know in the Bible that there's windows of heaven. And those are the metaphors that God is using. And he's saying, look that these metaphors the windows of heaven are open and when you give your tithe here he takes it there and the bible says from heaven comes supply that will so impact your life that you will not even have room enough to contain it that's why the bible says in malachi will a man rob god now how do you rob god you sign up at nassau or NASA, you say tomato, I say tomato. Get a shuttle, go up to space, go up to where God lives. You break into heaven, you look at the streets of gold, you grab yourself a brick, you go back into the shuttle, come back to earth, and you just robbed God. Is that how you rob God? You know what Malachi says? This is what he says. Listen, I'm trying to help us today. He says you have robbed God. Because you have not given tithes and offerings. Listen, he's saying that when you rob, you withhold. So when I withhold here on earth, I'm robbing God of his blessings to me. See, this is why so many people, Christians included, have so many financial problems on earth because they don't let heaven get involved in their finances. And my church family, I'm just telling you, Jesus said that we are supposed to pray that 
on earth as it is in heaven. God wanted heaven and earth to work together. Last story. Paul and Silas are in a prison and they begin to sing. In a prison, which history tells us was probably at least two to three feet of feces that they were sitting in. And they begin to open their mouth. And I'm telling you, see, we don't realize this, but when you come to the house of God and when you sing today on earth, heaven's affected. Do you know that there are angels singing to God 24-7, saying, holy, holy, when we come into this house, the gateway to heaven, and you begin to lift your voice as you begin to say, he is awesome in this place. Do you know what you are doing? This is not just looking at a screen. This isn't just about dancing. This is about doing something on earth that is in conjunction with heaven. And you and I begin to lift our voice up with heaven. Paul and Silas were in chains. They began to sing and their voice went in conjunction with heaven. And heaven came down and shook the prison to the point where all the chains broke. The guard who was going to kill himself because he could not let those prisoners out of his sight gave his life to Jesus. And not only did he, but his whole household because Paul and Silas sang on earth, it moved heaven. Your praise matters, your giving matters, what you do on earth matters, it affects heaven. In my church family, I'm just telling you today, it's one of the biggest deceptions of the enemy is just live an earthly life like nothing matters. I'm telling you today, everything matters today. There's a young lady here, and I'm not going to call out her name. She just received Jesus right here at Passion Life Church three or four weeks ago. She came to God's house, the gateway. Something that she did here in Marietta on a Sunday morning has affected her whole eternity there because of what she did here. And Jesus said, on earth as it is in heaven. Thank you for listening today. We hope that you were encouraged and uplifted by today's message. For more information on Passion Life Church, visit us online at passionlifechurch.com.